Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap, hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today we're going to be discussing Chapter 8 in this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Enlightenment. This chapter is titled Transforming the Three Poisons, Craving, Anger, and Ignorance. These are the three high-level challenges or problems that the unenlightened mind experiences and what keeps it in the unenlightened state. As you learn this content, either from the book or from this class, you will start to understand the problems better. And once you understand the problems, then you can understand the solutions and how to implement those solutions to move the mind to this enlightened mental state where it can be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. As long as the mind has the pollution of these three poisons or three unwholesome roots or three fires, the mind's going to continue to experience unwholesome results because it's making decisions through these unwholesome roots or these three poisons. So I'm really pleased that you decided to join today because you're going to get a lot of answers to questions that you might have been challenged with in terms of understanding what are the real problems of the mind and how do we actually solve it. The Buddhist teachings, as we've discussed before, they're not a religion. They're not rules to follow. Instead, he's explaining to you the natural laws of existence, providing you an understanding of the problem, providing you an understanding of the solution, and then providing guidance to help you implement those solutions along the way. There's nothing that you should believe in terms of the Buddhist teachings. There's nothing to believe. Instead, their guidance of helping you to understand these natural laws so that as you learn them, you can reflect on them and then you can practice to see the truth for yourself. So as we're talking today, as I'm discussing and sharing with you these three poisons, what you should be doing is thinking about your life and what you've encountered and what you've experienced. Not just believing what I'm saying, but instead taking what I'm sharing with you and contrasting that and see is this really what you're experiencing in life? Because as you learn about the three poisons, it actually helps you to understand why you've been experiencing all the challenges that you've been experiencing your entire life. Up to this point in our program, we've been primarily talking about craving, desire, attachment as the cause of discontentedness. And that is one of the three poisons. But now we're going to open things up and talk more about the overall problems in the mind and provide you solutions to those as well. So let's go ahead and start talking about the three poisons in more detail and helping you understand what they are. The three poisons or three unwholesome roots or three fires we discuss these and title it this way, depending on what we're talking about. 
if we're discussing the three poisons, then what you'll hear us discussing or hear me discussing is antidotes to these poisons to kind of counteract or transform these poisons in the mind. And that analogy can be really helpful for people if they understand this poison coming out of the mind and antidoting it with the antidote. Or in some cases, it's really helpful to think of these as the three unwholesome roots because these are the root cause of all the challenges and all the problems in our life. This is the root cause of what's causing it. And when we get back to the root cause and we uproot that, then by uprooting the cause of the problems, now we can actually practice in a way with an improved condition of mind that has eliminated these unwholesome roots by practicing the remedy to these. The remedy is the three wholesome roots, which we're gonna talk about today as well. So you may hear me talking about these either in this class or future classes as the three unwholesome roots. And there's certain imagery and certain analogies that are really helpful to think about these as the three unwholesome roots, depending on how we're discussing them. And then sometimes it makes sense to talk of these more as the three fires, these three fires that are burning. And the goal of your practice is to extinguish these three fires. And by extinguishing these three fires, then the mind will move to a more enlightened mental state. Ultimately, to get to enlightenment, a practitioner would need to eliminate all three fires or they would need to uproot all three of the unwholesome roots or they would need to antidote these three poisons, which are all describing exactly the same thing. We sometimes refer to these as defilements. Another word for defilement is pollution of mind. These are the pollutions that are causing the mind complications. And as I mentioned at the beginning is the more you understand the problem, then you will understand the solution that's being shared with you by the Buddha. And then as you're implementing those solutions, it will make a lot more sense to you because you understand the why. So these are the high level descriptions of what the real problems are in the unenlightened mind. The unenlightened mind is going to be making decisions through these three poisons or three unwholesome roots or these three fires. And this is the reason why we experience difficulties, struggles and complications in our life because these three poisons or these three unwholesome roots are motivating unskillful conduct. And as we make decisions with a polluted mind, the decisions that we put out into the world are going to come from these unwholesome roots. So therefore, these unwholesome results come back to us where we might think we're making the very best decision and we're putting out a certain decision into the world. We don't realize that it's tainted, that our decision has been tainted with these three unwholesome roots or these three poisons. And because we're putting this tainted decision into the world based on these unwholesome roots or these three poisons, then unwholesome results happen for us. This is unwholesome gamma. Remember, gamma is cause and effect or action and result, essentially the results of our decisions. So as we make decisions in the world through the unwholesomeness of these three poisons of craving, anger and ignorance, or the unknowing of true reality, then as we make these decisions in the world, because they're tainted with this unwholesome pollution of mind, then we experience this unwholesome results coming back to us or this unwholesome gamma, the result of our decisions. 
The three poisons or three unwholesome roots, three fires, provide a really clear description of what the problems are in the unenlightened mind and how to antidote those or how to solve these problems in order to move the mind closer to enlightenment. Once somebody has extinguished all of the three poisons, then the mind will be enlightened. So the three poisons are at a higher level. There's going to be a certain amount of detail that we share, but you're kind of looking at this unenlightened mind from a certain high level and providing a high level description of what the problems are in the mind and then kind of generalized antidotes or solutions that need to be implemented based on that level of detail. But then when you look at the Buddhist teachings closely and you look at them more and more closely and you pull back the layers a bit more, you'll see something called the 10 fetters. This is something that we talked about in chapter three. The 10 fetters are the detailed explanation of what the problems are in the unenlightened mind. The 10 fetters, they actually bubble up to the three poisons. And you can take each of the individual 10 fetters and map them into the three poisons. But there's different understanding of the problem at the level of the three poisons and a different understanding of the solutions that need to be implemented. Same thing with the 10 fetters. It's a different level of detail describing the problems in the unenlightened mind. And therefore, there's different remedies that we employ to root out the very specific problems of the 10 fetters. So these things are kind of one in the same, but they're a different level of description. And there's different solutions that we implement depending on what aspect of the mind that we're talking about. So it helps to understand the mind through viewing it through the three poisons or these three unwholesome roots. And it also helps to view it through the 10 fetters as you progress further and you understand more of the detailed problems in the mind. The antidotes to the three poisons or the three unwholesome roots or the three fires, the way to counteract these or transform the mind is called the three wholesome roots. And when we're making decisions through the three wholesome roots, having transformed the mind away from craving anger and ignorance and towards generosity, loving kindness and wisdom, which we're going to be talking about in detail today as part of the three wholesome roots. When you start making decisions through the three wholesome roots, being unaffected by the pollution of these three poisons or these three unwholesome roots, now your decisions are based in wholesome qualities of generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom. And now, as you make these wholesome decisions in the world, as you put those out, wholesome things come back to you, wholesome results or wholesome gamma. So this cause and effect or action and result, the more that you see that everything that we experience in life is as a result of our own decisions. So if things are happening that we aren't necessarily pleased with or we would prefer a different result, we can't go out and change other people. All we can do is change our own decisions and how we function. So if we're noticing unwholesome things are coming back to us, then we need to modify and adjust what we're doing in order to ensure that we're creating a better results for ourselves. So when you see this cause and effect or this action and result relationship, that everything that we experience in life is as a result of our own decisions, then rather than trying to go around and change other people, we look at how we can modify our own practice, clearing out the pollution of our own mind, and this is going to produce better results in our personal and professional relationships.
Let's talk about what the three poisons are just from a high level, and then we'll go into some detail on each individual poison so that you can understand them in detail. These poisons of craving, anger, and ignorance, they mask the true nature of our awakened mind, this wisdom and compassion that is truly there in the natural mind. And one of the ways to think about these three poisons is it's polluting that natural brightness or that natural brilliance of the enlightened mind. As long as this pollution is there in the mind, then it's not going to be able to experience this wisdom and this compassion, this awakened mind, this true nature of the enlightened mind. These poisonous states of craving anger and ignorance, they motivate all non-virtuous or unskillful intention, speech, and actions. So connecting this back to the Eightfold Path, where we learned about right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, and all the others along the path, as long as there's this pollution in the mind, then our intention, speech, and actions are going to be motivated through these pollutions. So as part of this path, you're actively training the mind to eliminate and remedy these pollutions of mind so that you can get to the point where you're always practicing the three wholesome roots. And the more that you're practicing the three wholesome roots through things like your intention, speech, and actions, you'll be making wise decisions about how to interact in the world in your personal and professional relationships, and you'll see more and more wholesomeness coming back to you. But as long as we operate through these poisonous states of the three poisons, it's going to continue to produce this unwholesome results or this unwholesome gamma. So we need to transform or antidote these three poisons, these three unwholesome roots. We need to extinguish these three fires in order to allow the brightness of the enlightened mind to shine through where it's no longer polluted or defiled or tainted by these three poisons or these three unwholesome roots, these three fires, these three defilements. So understanding the three poisons from a little bit of a higher level before we go in and talk about each one individually is there's craving, anger, and ignorance or the unknowing of true reality. Some people refer to these as greed, hatred, and delusion, or there's even desire, ill will, and confusion. These are just different words to describe the same thing. And as you use different words, it kind of helps you to understand more of this aspect of the mind. So when I talk about craving, desire, attachment, or now we can add this word greed, this is what we've talked about already as it relates to the Four Noble Truths, when we talk about how the mind has this mental longing with a strong eagerness. It's seeking the objects of its affection. It's grasping and it's looking for contentedness. It's looking for satisfaction outside of ourselves, thinking that, some object or some material possession or some relationship or something outside of us is going to create this lasting inner contentment or this lasting inner fulfillment. So the mind just keeps craving and craving, having this longing, this yearning, this strong eagerness, looking to satisfy this unquenchable thirst for something outside of me to create peacefulness inside. And this is what we call craving or desire or attachment, grasping, holding, 
expectations, wants, the mind just wanting and trying to latch on to the next thing that thinks it's going to fulfill the mind and create this lasting satisfaction. But those things never actually create lasting satisfaction, which we'll talk about why today. The second one is referred to as anger or hatred or ill will. When we talk about it as a poison, we tend to talk about it as anger or hatred. When we talk about it as part of the 10 fetters, it's usually described as ill will. But essentially what it's referring to is this aspect of the unenlightened mind where it's hostile or it's aggressive. It has this vindictiveness where it's kind of almost looking out for enemies around us, being uncomfortable with unpleasant experiences in certain circumstances. We want the objects of our affection because of craving, desire, attachment. And then we don't get those objects of our affection. Then the mind can move into anger, hatred, and it starts experiencing these unpleasant, painful feelings. And then it can even have this aversion or this repulsion where it kind of pushes what it perceives as being unpleasant people or circumstances. It wants to push these things away, thinking that that is going to solve the problem. When the unenlightened mind experiences these uncomfortable feelings, it thinks that if it just pushes the people or the situations out of its life, that that's going to solve the problem. But it doesn't because the actual real root of the problem is in the unenlightened mind, which is this craving, desire, attachment. That's what's causing the mind to experience discontentedness. And with right view, you can see that very clearly. But in the unenlightened mind, when it's being affected by this poison or this unwholesome root or this fire of anger, it attributes its painful feelings to some individual or some situation or some circumstance. And now it tries to push that out of its life, thinking that that's going to actually solve the problem. But you can't go through life that way because you're constantly pushing people and situations out of your life, never really getting to the root problem, which is this anger, this hatred, this ill will. And what's motivating all of this and keeping all of this going in a continuous cycle where the mind craves something, if it gets what it wants, it experiences those pleasant feelings and it experiences happiness, excitement, elation. And if it doesn't get what it wants, it experiences anger, hatred, and ill will. What's keeping all of that moving in a cycle where the mind just keeps chasing and chasing and chasing, craving, longing with a strong eagerness. It gets the objects of its affection, but then that wears off. So now it chases after something else and chases after something else and chases after something else. And in between there, it's experiencing this anger and hatred. The reason why the mind keeps doing this in this constant cycle over and over and over again is because of its ignorance or its delusion or its confusion, its unknowing of true reality. The unenlightened mind doesn't understand what it doesn't understand. It doesn't realize that it has this misperception. It has this wrong view. It misunderstands how the world works around us. And because it doesn't understand these natural laws of existence described in the Buddhist teachings, it continues to chase through this craving, it continues to experience this anger, this hatred, attributing those painful feelings to others. And it continues to push people out of our life and push situations out of our life. And we just keep 
struggling and having difficulties over and over again because of this unknowing of true reality or this ignorance, this delusion. And we get trapped in these misperceptions, looking at the world in a certain way with these wrong views, not understanding reality, that we're in fact causing our own discontentedness, we're causing our own anger, and that these things are impermanent. We can actually uproot them, we can transform them, we can move them to improvement where we see our relationships both personally and professionally improve, but we can't do that as long as this ignorance is there, as long as we have this delusion and confusion about the way things work in the world, as long as we don't understand these natural laws of existence, we'll never get to peacefulness and contentedness because the mind doesn't understand that it's causing its own discontentedness. So there's a solution to each of these, craving, anger, and ignorance. There's solutions that we use to implement and transform the mind to now practice in a way that slowly diminishes, ultimately eliminating these three poisons and now functioning with a purified mind. So this path to enlightenment is to purify the mind of these three poisons or these three unwholesome roots, these three fires. We're extinguishing these three fires because as long as these are burning in the mind, then it's going to keep motivating unskillful, non-virtuous, immoral conduct because we just don't understand what we don't understand. So now talking about craving in more detail, and then I'll take questions at the end of this one and we go through each individual poison, I'll be sure to stop and take questions. And the way that you'll ask those questions is put them into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. Our moderators will see that, or you can raise your hand electronically and ask any questions or follow-up questions that you like. This first poison that we've been talking about all along in this program, but now talking about it not just as craving, but as a real significant primary problem in the mind, this craving, this desire, this attachment, and now using this word greed. We also describe it as wants or expectations or grasping or holding. This is where there's this burning desire, this never-ending thirst, where the mind is yearning and longing seeking the objects of its affection, thinking that this object is going to provide some kind of lasting satisfaction and somehow that's going to make us feel fulfilled or whole or complete. And we keep chasing after the objects of our affection over and over and over, thinking that this next shiny object, as long as we acquire that, that's what's going to fulfill the mind and create this lasting satisfaction. But what we don't realize is this is all a delusion. It's all ignorance because we chase after these objects. We get the objects of our affection, either a material object or a certain job title at work or a promotion, more income, a certain relationship. Maybe we have craving for a new child and having a baby. It doesn't mean any of these things are, are wrong or that we can't pursue them in life because we can go forward and pursue these as goals, objectives, and interests. The problem becomes is when the unenlightened mind thinks that acquiring these objects is what's going to create the lasting satisfaction. So it's basing its inner feelings on this material thing, something outside of ourself, to the point where the unenlightened mind almost becomes obsessive, chasing after the objects of our affection with this mental longing and strong eagerness 
thinking that these things outside of us are going to create some kind of lasting satisfaction. It's almost like we're chasing an unattainable goal. It's like we keep putting these goals in front of us over and over and over again. We might acquire a certain goal or we might acquire a certain material object and we experience pleasant feelings, but those are temporary. They only last for a temporary period of time. And then when they fade away, the mind then looks for what's the next thing. It wants to latch on to the next thing. It's looking for the next new shiny object. And when it identifies something, then it starts chasing after that and it chases it and chases it and chases it. And then if it gets it, okay, it experiences these pleasant feelings, but those are temporary and they fade again. And we're left right back where we were to begin with because the mind isn't satisfied. It doesn't feel fulfilled. It doesn't feel whole or complete. There's something that's missing. And the mind just thinks if it can get this missing thing, let me just chase after the next thing. And it just keeps chasing and chasing. And if it gets the objects of its affection, those pleasant feelings come in. And if it doesn't get it, then we experience that next poison, which is typically anger, hatred, ill will, the lesser versions of that, like frustration, irritation, annoyance, and so forth. So the only way to fix this is not to keep chasing after the objects of our affection, but instead the things that we need to do in life, look at them as needs and not wants. Don't chase our wants, but just look to fulfill our needs and what do we really need and then look to progress towards that as a goal, as an interest or an objective and calmly walk towards that goal each day executing wise decisions, wholesome decisions that take us closer and closer to that goal. Rather than being over here on one side where we're completely complacent, not being interested to do anything in the world, not there, that's not the middle. But also over here where we're just chasing, 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 chasing the objects of our affection, that's not the middle either. That's Both of these are going to lead to discontentedness. So what the Buddha teaches us is to be in the middle where we can gradually pursue going forward towards our goals and objectives and interests, making wise decisions that aren't polluted with these three poisons. The mind longing with a strong eagerness, once it experiences those pleasant feelings, it then wants to cling to them. It wants to hold on to them permanently. It wants those pleasant feelings to last permanently, but they don't. So the problem that we describe through craving you can actually think of it as two different things. Is first the mind craves having this longing, strong eagerness, wanting something. Then once it gets it, then it has this clinging or this holding where it wants to hold on to it permanently. So there's this outward longing and then there's this holding on to it. And the unenlightened mind is gonna do this. It's gonna hold on to painful experiences from the past that you've had. It's going to bury it. It's going to hold on to it in the mind. It's going to replay those painful things over and over and over again. And the mind's going to continue to feel those painful experiences because it's holding on to those painful things of the past. Or there might be certain pleasant things that happened in the past and certain aspects of your life were very pleasant. And the mind's holding on to that, wanting that to continue, thinking that that's what it needs in order to get back to some level of pleasantness or the mind might be longing to the future wanting certain pleasant things to happen in the future 
or the mind might be longing in the future and thinking that things in the future are going to be very painful and very difficult for you. And now the mind is discontent because of that. It's only when the mind comes into the present moment being trained to let go of all of this and no longer allow the mind to long with craving and no longer allowing the mind to hold on tightly to all these different experiences that we've had in our life. It's only when we train the mind to no longer do that and let go that the mind can then be liberated from this poison that has now been transformed. So there's two generalized trainings that we use in order to antidote this poison or to practice the wholesome root in order to move the mind towards the wholesome qualities that are going to produce wholesomeness in the mind. The first thing is breathing mindfulness meditation. This is where we train the mind to let go. So if you've trained in breathing mindfulness meditation with me, then you know what we do there is we focus on the breath coming in and out of the nose. Whenever the mind goes to the past or the future, if there's any thoughts, ideas, or perceptions that come into the mind, we train the mind to let go and come back to the breath. Any thoughts during meditation that arise, whether they're unwholesome or wholesome, we train the mind to let go. Because the reason why the mind in meditation is going to the past or going to the future or it's having these various thoughts is because of its craving, because of its clinging. So when the mind goes and it tries to crave and go in all different directions, not being content with being in the present moment, focused on the breath, when the mind is longing, trying to move out of the present moment, when you are aware of that and you observe that in meditation, you cut that off, let it go and come back to the breath. More and more, you train the mind to easily let go and let go and let go to reside in the present moment and be comfortable with that and be content with that. But the mind doesn't want to do that because the mind isn't disciplined. The unenlightened mind doesn't have the discipline to stay in the present moment focused on the breath. So when you start your meditation practice or at different times during your meditation practice, the mind is shaken up where it doesn't want to stay in the present moment on the breath. So it goes to the past or it goes to the future or it has various thoughts or ideas. And as it does, you cut that off and let it go and come back to the breath. Cut it off and let it go and come back to the breath. And here what you're doing over multiple sessions, multiple weeks and multiple months is you're gradually training the mind to develop this right mindfulness or awareness of mind. So sooner and sooner, you start to become aware when the mind is not in the present moment. And when you have that awareness that it's not in the present moment, now you cut it off and let it go and come back to the breath. So now not only do you arise this quality of mindfulness in the mind where it's aware when it's not in the present moment, but then you develop the skill and ability that when it's not in the present moment, you can more easily let it go and let it go and let it go. And now you train the mind over multiple sessions to easily let things go. And now stay focused on the breath and develop concentration or right concentration, singleness of mind. This is part of the Eightfold Path when we talked about the mental discipline is taking the effort or right effort to eliminate unwholesome qualities and arise wholesome qualities. So the unwholesome quality here is the craving, desire, attachment, 
the greed, the want, the expectation, the grasping, the holding, the clinging, this desire, this strong eagerness of the mind, not wanting to be in the present moment. It's not content. It's not comfortable being in the present moment. It always wants to be somewhere else. And there, when you observe that with mindfulness and meditation, then you cut it off and let it go and come back to the breath. And this will help you more and more to eliminate craving, desire, attachment, where the mind will essentially submit over time. It will submit more and more because it doesn't like to be constantly pulled back. It doesn't like to be constantly yanked back to the present moment that it eventually just sits there and resides in the present moment, focusing on the breath, having this right concentration or singleness of mind. And this is the gradual training that you do two or three times a day for 30 minutes or longer. And depending on where you are in your practice, you are needing to build up to that. You might actually build up starting with just five or 10 minutes of meditation per session. And maybe just one session per day is pretty much what you might be able to start with. But then you increase the amount of time gradually and you increase the amount of sessions gradually. And this is gradually training the mind to no longer long for the past, long for the future, have all these thoughts and different perceptions bombarding the mind. But you then start building this discipline or this control of the mind where you can focus it on the present moment and reside there with contentedness and be comfortable and peaceful with joy in the present moment. Oftentimes when people first start meditating, they talk about how they're sometimes bored, right? And that's because the mind doesn't want to be in the present moment. It wants to be somewhere else. But over time, you gradually train the mind to be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, just focused on the breath and only the breath. You don't need anything else in this world. You don't need anything. None of this material possessions are going to bring lasting satisfaction. So during meditation, you're going inward, focusing on the breath and training it to just be content with the breath and only the breath. So this is the first major training that you employ on an ongoing basis to get rid of this issue of craving, which is causing discontentedness, but is also motivating unskillful decisions because we're pursuing our cravings. So we spend money or we say things to people or we do things in different ways. We have certain types of speech with people and all of our motivations that are coming through craving are going to produce this unskillful conduct. And therefore, we're going to experience these unwholesome results coming back to us. So this primary training of breathing mindfulness meditation needs to be consistent and ongoing throughout your life. Then the second thing that you employ is a practice of generosity. Generosity is having a willingness to give and to share with others. We're taught as children to share and to share with others, but we're not exactly taught why. The reason why is because the mind holds on. It's the same problem of craving, desire, attachment, this clinging, the mind wanting to hold on. So what you do is you practice generosity of sharing your time, effort, energy, and resources for others and to benefit others without any expectation of getting anything in return that you just openly share with others. And gradually what you're doing is you're sharing things in your life 
your time, effort, energy, and resources. And this trains the mind to not be selfish and to hold on to things tightly. And it trains the mind to let go. So these two things combined can be really impactful to the mind. But when you're building up your practice of generosity, just like everything else, you need to find the middle way. Whereas over here, if you never shared anything at all, the mind would be holding on and it would be selfish. But over here, if you openly shared everything under the sun, then you might not have what you need to sustain your life or the life of your family. So you need to find that middle way where you can gradually share with people around you and feeling content with doing so and realizing that you sharing is a way to let go of this selfishness, but most importantly, let go of this craving, desire, attachment, this clinging where the mind wants to hold on to things so tightly. So even if you're opening a bag of potato chips and there's other people around, offer some potato chips to people and not be concerned if they take the biggest chip and that's the one that you wanted, right? Just share with them. And if it goes around the circle and it comes back and there's no more potato chips, then just go get another bag, right? We're talking, you know, very little money here to buy a bag of potato chips. Or if you've got time or effort, things that you can help people, you're walking outside your house or your condo or wherever you live and you notice somebody's trash is blown all over the yard. It'll take five minutes to help them clean it up because that's your practice of generosity as well as loving kindness and compassion but you're practicing generosity sharing your time effort energy and resources but there's going to be some times where you're going to need to stay focused on the things that you're doing so it's not a matter of you should always do this because that would be permanence but you need to generally work into your life where you're finding ways to share with people and not just hold on to things that you're doing for your own benefit. The mind has to realize this interconnectivity between all beings, that we're all interconnected in one way or another. And through that interconnectivity, by us sharing, it's very good for the health of our own mind. It trains the mind to let go of this craving, desire, attachment. It trains the mind to not be selfish and hold on so tightly. So you'll have to find ways and things in your life that you can gradually share and implement more and more sharing into your life and realize that that's beneficial for you and it's beneficial for the people around you as well. So let's pause here and see what questions you guys have so far of all the things that we've been discussing before we move on to the other parts of our discussion. The way that you ask a question is put that into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, or you can raise your hand electronically and you can ask your question or any follow-up questions directly. Hello, teacher. As for the three poisons, which seems to be three major uh, challenges for the mind, is there a way to live with these three poisons and live with a peaceful mind, or one needs to work on these poisons and eradicate all of them? As long as these three poisons exist in the mind, the mind will never experience permanent contentedness or permanent peacefulness. These three poisons, this pollution of mind is always going to produce discontentedness in the mind, particularly this one, and it's going to motivate unskillful conduct or unskillful behavior, unskillful choices that we make. 
and therefore we're going to constantly have these unwholesome things coming back to us. So as long as our mind is defiled or tainted or polluted with these three poisons, the mind will never reside in that peaceful mental state. You might have certain periods of time in your life where you do experience a bit of peacefulness. It could be for a couple of days or a couple of weeks or what have you. But as long as these three poisons are there, at some point the mind's going to be shaken up due to this pollution. Well, practicing generosity with money may be, uh, may be clear. What about practicing generosity with time or effort? Can you explain this point in more detail? Yeah, everybody has to look at this themselves and find that middle, as we talked about in a previous chapter, about how if you know that you need to make sure you eliminate this craving, desire, attachment, and generosity as a way of doing that, to train the mind to not hold on so tightly and to eliminate selfishness, then it's a matter of kind of gradually implementing things into your life where you're practicing generosity and finding ways to do that, whether it's your time, effort, energy, or resources. So your time, you might donate your time to various places at different times. You might have certain effort that you contribute. There's lots of different places in the world that could use help from people. You know, one way to help is to help share these teachings through helping your teacher. If you feel like you have some time you'd like to help your teacher, you can always make an offering to your teacher that you have time and effort available, some energy that you would like to contribute if there's any projects that are going on. There might be certain charities in your community that you would like to contribute to. There's lots of different ways in the world to offer our time and effort. You know, it can be one-on-one with teaching a child that needs some help and tutoring them. It can be so many different ways of helping people. And when you're doing these things, you should be thinking of it as that you don't have any expectation of anything in return, that your only interest is to help. And you're dedicating your time, effort, energy, or resources to be able to do that. And then remember that middle way that we talked about, that it's always kind of ebbing and flowing. So at this point, if you realize that you're somewhat selfish and you some somewhat hold on to things very tightly you don't want to run out and just kind of like start doing everything so many things extensively because now you have craving to practice generosity you would like to gradually implement generosity into your practice so if you have been somewhat complacent with practicing generosity now that you understand that it's an important practice you just look for ways to contribute and helping people that you don't have any expectation of anything in return. For eliminating craving, does one need to eliminate all kinds of joy in life? Joy is different the way that I explain it than something like happiness or excitement or elation. These pleasant feelings that we talk about, these are conditioned pleasant feelings. This is, I got a new pair of shoes, so therefore I'm happy, or I got a new job, I'm happy. I got a raise at work, I'm happy. I got a new boyfriend, a new girlfriend, a new friend. I got a new computer, what have you. I got some new clothes, new jewelry, a new purse, new makeup, whatever. Now the mind is happy because of those things. This is conditioned happiness. It's temporary, it's completely impermanent, it's going to wear off, and eventually the mind is gonna end up in painful feelings again. So you're not interested in that 
type of feeling because as long as you base your inner feelings on the condition of getting a new job or getting a new pair of shoes or getting a new purse or new makeup or what have you, as long as you base your inner feelings on this condition of something that needs to be met, these material objects or something that your mind is craving, like a new title or going on holiday or going on vacation or any of these things that the mind wants and craves, as long as it's doing that, it's going to be temporary pleasant feelings and ultimately it's going to end up with dissatisfaction because the mind's basing its inner feelings on some condition. What you would like to get to is where the mind can be joyful. This is unconditioned joy, where there's no condition that needs to be met in order for there to be joy present in the mind. So by you training to eliminate craving, desire, attachment, where the mind is longing for these pleasant feelings, by using breathing mindfulness meditation, by using generosity and all the other aspects of this path to enlightenment, you untrain the mind. You train it to no longer long for these pleasant feelings and train it to be joyful and content and peaceful. Just be satisfied with what is in the present moment. But as long as there's this craving like the grass is greener on the other side, then the mind's going to want to go to the other side of the fence. And now you get to the other side of the fence and you realize, ah, the grass isn't any greener over here than it was over there. And now you want to go back to where you were and the mind just keeps craving, 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 keep thinking that the next object of its affection is going to create some kind of lasting satisfaction. But it's not these material objects that are going to create lasting satisfaction for us. If this was the case, then we would see that what people have taught us in the past is that if you're rich and you're wealthy, then life is perfect. Or if you have a certain job title or if you have a house and kids and a car and life partner and certain things in your life, then okay, life is perfect for you. But what you've learned over time is each time you acquire this new object of your affection, it never creates lasting satisfaction. And if what we've been taught in the past that wealth and fame and fortune is what creates lasting happiness, then we would see that all rich people would be completely happy in, in a perfect world. But what we see is we see celebrities, we see wealthy people that are unhappy and we see them even commit suicide in certain situations. Well, if it was wealth and material objects that lead to permanent happiness or permanent peacefulness, then we would expect that all people who are wealthy and rich, they wouldn't commit suicide, would they? But that's not what we see. We oftentimes even see celebrities who are using drugs and alcohol because their mind is still chasing after those pleasant feelings. So if you understand that the problem isn't the material object itself, because in certain environments, we need a car, we need clothes, we need shoes, we need a purse, we need food, we need a house, we need a place to stay. We need these things in our life, but it's when the mind mistakenly believes that this material possession is going to create lasting satisfaction, that's where the mind gets confused and it keeps chasing after the objects of its affection. So we need to 
retrain the mind to understand that no it can be content right now in the present moment it doesn't need something else externally to satisfy the mind you can actually get that contentedness through training the mind to no longer keep longing for something else as long as the mind thinks that there's something outside of you that's going to create permanent fulfillment then it's going to keep longing for that next thing it's not until the mind understands that it doesn't need these external things in order to experience contentedness and it cuts that off and goes inward that it realizes that I can be content right here, right now, if I train the mind to not want and crave and desire and long for something else other than what it currently has. Thanks, teacher. Let's go to Nick for Facebook questions. Thank you, Bassam. Yes, teacher, there's a question from Amina. She writes, the mind is experiencing sadness at times when reading newspaper articles. Recently, there have been issues in the U.S. where racism and injustice is occurring in court cases. The mind becomes disappointed initially and after with mindfulness, attempts to let go of those feelings. How can we approach such issues where an expectation of fairness does not happen? How can the mind find peace in these circumstances? Yeah, the key there that you're talking about, Amina, is the expectations. The mind has a certain expectations of how things are supposed to work in the world. And it wants things to be a certain way. And when it doesn't get what it wants, the objects of its affection, then it experiences discontentedness. Sad feelings are the discontentedness. So you've got to understand that nothing in this world can happen outside of the natural law of gamma, of cause and effect. As long as the mind is craving for things to be a certain way in this world, then it's not understanding the way things truly are. That's part of that ignorance or delusion or confusion. When you see certain things that you're describing as injustice, if somebody hurts somebody and they go into a court and they're found not guilty, for example, Okay, that's society's laws. That's humanity's laws. They're imperfect. Humanity's laws are, are imperfect. But if you expect for the result of that court case to be a certain way, and it doesn't happen the way you want, that's your craving, right? That's the way you want, the way you expect. That's your craving, desire, attachment. And then when they don't happen the way that the mind wants, that's when it experiences painful feelings. So these laws of humanity are imperfect they can't function in a perfect way because these laws in society are created by humans and you have to let go of your craving of wanting the world to be a certain way and realize the world functions the way it does based on the natural laws of existence so someone might go to court and they might be found not guilty in humanity's laws that are imperfect or they might be found guilty. There's people who are proven guilty that are actually innocent, that have had very harmful things happen to them in the world based on these imperfect human laws. But the natural law of gamma, of cause and effect, is perfect. It can't function in an imperfect way. So even if somebody harms somebody and they go to court and they're found not guilty, maybe they didn't go to jail in 
that particular situation, but they can't escape the results of their decisions. Just going through the whole court system created massive problems for their life. And they're going to continue to have massive problems after that because the same problems that led to whatever court case they had, this craving, desire, attachment, this anger, hatred, ill will, this ignorance, this delusion, this confusion, that doesn't go away just because they were found not guilty in a court. So now when they go outside and they are now free to to start functioning in the world that the way that they would like to function, they're still being affected from their decisions of harming people. Even though they were found not guilty in a court of law, this imperfect law, if they did something harmful, they can't escape the results of that. They're going to continue to experience those consequences for many years. And the pollution of mind that led to the initial harms, if they harm somebody, then those same pollutions are still going to be there and they're still going to be affected by that throughout the rest of their life. So when we have the expectation or the wants for the court system to function to our liking in the way that we expect and it doesn't function that way, then that's where the mind causes itself discontentedness. The courts can't function the way that you want them to function in the way that someone else wants them to function too there's going to be people who are discontent as long as they have an expectation of how things should go. There's always going to be people on both sides that are discontent. Even in a situation where someone's found not guilty and people get pleasant feelings as a result of that, that's discontentedness as well because that's not permanent either. And there's going to be some situation where someone else is found guilty And those same people that before were happy, now they're going to be sad. So as long as we keep having these expectations and wants for all these things in the world to be happening a certain way, the mind is craving for things to happen a certain way. And when they don't happen that way, then our inner feelings get affected by it. They go up and down and up and down and up and down. So instead, you just have to understand that there's always this natural law of gamma and someone can't run and they can't hide from that natural law of gamma. They're going to continually be affected by the choices and decisions that they make. Well, seeing that uh, there are no more questions for us now, teacher. Okay, so let's move to the next poison or the next unwholesome root, which is anger, hatred. We also call it ill will as well. So if the mind is craving for something and it gets the objects of its affection, It experiences those pleasant feelings, but they're temporary. But if the mind doesn't get the objects of its affection, the things that it wants, then it can move to this anger, this hatred, this ill will. And there's other versions of that too, like frustration, irritation, annoyance. There's lesser versions of it. Essentially, what this poison is doing is it's where the mind has these unpleasant feelings. It has these painful feelings based on certain circumstances or certain people, certain things that we don't like. When the mind wants something with craving, desire, attachment, and it doesn't get it, now these circumstances or the situation that we're experiencing, the mind doesn't like that because it didn't get what it wants. So now this anger arises or this frustration or Even sadness, like Amina was talking about, this sadness can arise in the mind because we don't get the objects of our affection. We want everything in our life to be pleasant. 
We want it to be comfortable. We want to be satisfied all the times. We want the objects of our affection to always happen for us. We think the world with this ignorance or this delusion, we have these misperceptions of how the world's supposed to function. So we want the world to function, to be satisfying to us all the time and be comfortable all the time. And when it's not that way, that's where this aggression and this hostility, this anger starts to arise. And we even have these feelings inside this fear, this hurt, this loneliness. And we try to push these painful feelings away, almost treating these painful feelings inside of us like an internal enemy. Like there's this enemy inside the mind that is trying to fight us. And we're trying to push back and push it away from us, not realizing that we're actually causing those feelings ourselves. There's this conflict that exists in the mind where it wants things to happen a certain way because of craving desire attachment things aren't happening that way so there's this inner conflict and now it starts looking out in the world for enemies and it starts thinking that the people around us are maybe out to hurt us or, or don't have our best interest in mind or we have this interest to ensure that people are functioning a certain way around us. We might even start trying to control people around us to do things a certain way because we don't like those painful feelings. And we think that if we have these painful feelings, if we push the people or the circumstances out of our life, we think that that will solve the problem, which it really doesn't. Or the other thing we try to do is we then try to control the people around us to do the things that we want based on our craving desire attachments. We start trying to get the world, the life partners, the children, our neighbors, our teachers, and different people around us. We try to get various people around us to do the things that we want them to do. And we think that this will solve the problem. But this ends up creating more difficulties in our life because we're controlling our personal and professional relationships, attempting to influence people based on our own craving, desires, attachments. And people don't like this. And we build up this hostility and this aggression, this resentment that things aren't happening in the world the way that we want. And this causes the mind to now function through this anger, hatred, ill will, frustration, irritation, annoyance. And now our intentions, our speech, and our actions are once again motivated not just by our wants of craving, but now our intention, speech, and actions are being motivated by our anger, our hatred, our ill will, where the mind becomes hostile and aggressive. And if things get really bad, like I said, we oftentimes will push people out of our life. This is aversion. This is where we think, we falsely think, we mistakenly believe, we have this misperception that it's this person that's causing us to be angry. And if we just push them out of our life, then that's gonna solve the problem. That's aversion, where we mistakenly believe that somebody else is causing us painful feelings. You might choose to move on in your relationships and choose not to associate with people. That's a way to build wholesome relationships in your life. But you can do that with loving kindness and compassion in the mind just choose like, okay, this wouldn't be a, a good relationship for me. I'm going to choose to move on. But 
with that, you understand that any kind of discontentedness that you're experiencing is coming from your own mind. That's what an enlightened mind is going to be doing is they might choose to no longer associate with somebody and move on, but they understand they're doing that with loving kindness and compassion and they're maintaining that for the individual and just choosing to walk forward. But if you have a version in the mind based on this anger and hatred that has arisen, you're going to falsely attribute the painful feelings that you have to this person or situation and then try to push them out of your life thinking that's going to solve the problem. Now, you may need to move on from that person. That may be something that you need to do. But as long as you're doing it based on aversion, then you're not really seeing things clearly. You're falsely attributing the painful feelings to this individual or this situation. And that's where the complications are because as we go through life and we keep pushing personal and professional relationships out of our life, we end up very lonely where we don't have people in our life because we've falsely attributed these painful feelings to everyone in our life. And now we find that we have a lot of difficulties interacting with others thinking that it's them that's causing these feelings. And like I said, we may get to a point in certain relationships where we choose to move on, but we're doing so because we acknowledge and are aware that it wouldn't be wise for you to stay in that relationship, but you're not doing it because you're falsely attributing the painful feelings to them. You're doing it because you just realize that there's unwholesomeness here that you would rather choose to not be a part of, and you're just choosing to move on and go forward in your life. So it's not the fact of not being associated with a certain person that is aversion. The aversion comes in when we falsely attribute the painful feelings to this individual or to certain circumstances. So we need to transform this in the mind where when we don't get the objects of our affection, this anger and hatred doesn't arise, that we don't push people away, that we understand that any unpleasant feelings any uncomfortable, dissatisfying feelings, they're all coming from our own craving, desire, attachment. So that while we're working on that through eliminating the poison of craving, we also need to work on this poison of anger, hatred, or ill will so that the mind doesn't have this hostility and this aggression, this resentment, or this aversion continuing in life. And the way that you antidote this and train the mind to no longer do this is you practice loving kindness meditation. This is what we do on Wednesdays. Part of the practice of this path to enlightenment is by training the mind to cultivate active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. Then you can reside having a genuine interest in seeing all beings be well. And if you have this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well, and you have this active goodwill towards others, then you won't push them out of your life. You'll understand that this is a person struggling in life just like you. And just like you're struggling with certain things, they're struggling with certain things. And it doesn't mean you need to push them out of your life. It might mean that you just need to have patience or you might need to just have some more loving kindness or some more compassion. But as long as you're chasing after the objects of your affection and that person isn't giving you what you want, then the anger arises and you direct it towards that person. And now through your intention, speech and actions, you damage your relationship. 
that no longer you're able to participate in that personal and professional relationship. But when you train the mind in loving kindness meditation to understand that you need to transform this anger, this hostility, this resentment towards others to having a genuine interest in seeing all beings be well, now through that training of meditation, just like before where you trained in breathing mindfulness meditation and you went out and practiced generosity, here you practice loving kindness meditation and you go out and you practice loving kindness in your daily life through being polite, kind, friendly, and respectful to all beings, not judging others for their shortcomings, not even looking at their shortcomings because you understand you have shortcomings too. There's things that you're doing in the world that are harmful as well and other people are doing things that are harmful as well. So rather than judge other people, wanting them to be a certain way and expecting for others to be a certain way, you just realize that all these unenlightened beings are all struggling through the world with the same problems that you're struggling with. And just because they're struggling with different problems than you're struggling with doesn't make them a lesser person. It just means that your mind's perceiving them as a lesser person. And by getting rid of your judgment towards them and practicing being polite, kind, friendly, and respectful, now you can be open and loving in your relationships, both personally and professionally, and your intention, speech, and actions can be in line with the Eightfold Path, practicing the way that the Buddha taught in any and all situations. You can cut off and eradicate and eliminate this anger, hatred, and ill will, choosing to look at others in a positive light. Even you see somebody doing something that's harmful, you might see those things, you might understand those things, but you don't judge them as a result, particularly because you probably did those exact same things at some point in this life, but you gained the wisdom to no longer do those things. Just because that person doesn't have that wisdom right now doesn't mean that we should judge them. We can have compassion for them. We can have concern for their misfortune and practice loving kindness where through our intention, speech, and actions, we can be polite, kind, friendly, and respectful. So in addition to this breathing mindfulness meditation that's ongoing throughout our life, you practice this loving kindness meditation alongside of breathing mindfulness meditation. In those two to three sessions a day, at least one of them or more, you should have loving kindness in there as well in order to transform an antidote or uproot or extinguish this fire of anger, hatred, and ill will so that now you can be loving and kind to all beings around you. Because as long as you put out this hostility and this aggression this resentment and you keep pushing people out of your life, that's exactly what's going to happen to you. The more hostile and aggressive you are to others, you're just showing other people how you treat them so they're going to treat you the exact same way. But when you transform your mind and you get rid of this anger, hatred, ill will through practicing loving kindness meditation, and then you practice through your intention, speech, and actions to be polite, kind, friendly, and respectful, now, when you're putting that out into the world, more and more, that's how people will end up interacting with you as well. You shouldn't actually do this because you want other people to treat you well. You should do this because you recognize what the real problem is, 
which is your own anger, your own hatred, and these other poisons as well. You're working on your own life practice, extinguishing these poisons, uprooting these unwholesome roots, getting rid of this pollution of mind through purifying the mind because you know it's good and it's important and it's helpful for your own practice. But what you will notice is the more that you get rid of your own pollution of mind and you start treating people well through the Eightfold Path and through the things that we're sharing here, then you'll gradually see that more and more people will treat you in a similar way. So let me pause here and see what questions you guys have on this particular poison. Sometimes one experiences anger because the want of all others, all those who are around us, to function in life in a certain way, which is impossible for us to force 7.5 billion people to function in a certain way. But is it possible to force or train those who are close to us to function a certain way? Family members, children, friends? The goal of this practice should always be your own practice and developing your own practice. The more that you develop your life practice, the better for you and the better for the people around you. Because as long as you're putting out harm through your intention, speech, and actions, you're harming others, so therefore harm's going to come to you. But if you live in a household where you have a life partner, you have children, you're in a situation where you guys together can choose to learn and practice these teachings, and there's ways to skillfully help people along the path. But if somebody is unwilling to do the work and apply the effort and energy to do the work, there's very little that you're going to be able to do in order to help that person. They have to choose to improve the condition of their mind through training the mind. You can't force them to attain enlightenment. You can't force them to function in a certain way. You can improve your practice in the way that you interact with them, but you can't force others to be a certain way. And you should never focus your practice on changing other people. But through your practice, the more and more enlightened you become, there are ways to skillfully help people, but you would never be able to skillfully guide somebody to enlightenment. They would have to do the work. There's ways that you can show them things. There's ways that you can skillfully help them see certain things, but they ultimately have to do the work to investigate the teachings, to apply the energy and be motivated to do things like meditate, to learn, to gain this wisdom and to progress on this path. There's never a time where you should attempt to force or control other people to do things in a certain way. That's not going to result in anything beneficial. And that would only be from your own mind craving for things to be a certain way in the world. This is one of the ways you can see that all craving, desire, attachment is gonna lead to discontentedness. As long as you have a certain image in your mind of the way that the world should work and you're trying to control or train people without them contributing to that training, then as long as you're trying to constantly push other people to be a certain way, then it's going to result in your own discontentedness because of your own craving, wanting people to be a certain way. So there's ways to train, like my son, I helped train him, but ultimately he had to do the work but I didn't have a craving for him to be a certain way. I was just kind of making decisions and showing him certain things, 
but then he needed to step up to that challenge and it was his choice to do that or my wife or other people or students when students come to visit me there's certain things that i will share and certain things that i will do but ultimately it's the individual that has to do the work i can't do the work for them or you can't do the work for them but as long as the mind is wanting things to be a certain way in the world you're craving for things to be a certain way and as long as they're not like that which they never will then your mind's going to be discontent so you have to let go of the world craving it to be a certain way but that also doesn't mean that you walk through life without an interest to help people you can still have an interest a goal or an objective to help people here and there it's just that when you crave it when you desire it you have this strong eagerness for it that it's going to cause the mind to be discontent thinking that the cause of anger is other people so some people make a decision to isolate themselves or eliminate all their social relationship and live alone does this work you can live alone you can be somebody who doesn't have a life partner who doesn't have children not everybody in the world is going to have a life partner and have children this is kind of the perception that some people put in the world that happiness is when you have a life partner or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or happiness is when you have children but the thing is is that you've had those things and the mind still is discontent so you can see that that's not the truth that these things that are around us isn't what creates the lasting inner contentedness there are certain experiences that we have with our children or a life partner that there's joy there but as long as the mind's clinging or craving for it thinking that that's what it takes in order to create the inner joy then you're not going to get to inner joy because you're attached craving thinking that this thing this external thing or this relationship is what's going to create the inner joy but this external thing can't create the permanent inner joy because that's basing your contentedness or your peacefulness or your joy on some condition and as long as that condition's met the mind's going to experience pleasant feelings but it can't be permanent that condition can't be met permanently so you're just setting yourself up for failure seems that nick has a question that's good him yes teacher for the first two of the three poisons besides practicing certain things like generosity or loving kindness in daily life the antidotes for the first two poisons are forms of meditation so how important would you say meditation is uh, for someone to develop in their practice like for example if they're just if they know the teachings but they don't meditate how far could they get it would be difficult to say how far somebody can get if we're talking about like the four jhanas and the four stages of enlightenment somebody wouldn't be able to get to the four jhanas or the four stages of enlightenment without meditation because in order to get to the jhanas you have to be able to practice right concentration which would include meditation so what i usually say is you wouldn't be able to get to enlightenment without meditation but you wouldn't be able to get to enlightenment with only meditation either it's a comprehensive practice so what the buddha used to teach to get people started is to improve their moral conduct so he would teach things like the five precepts and things like right speech right action and right livelihood cleaning that stuff up 
because that's where you're putting harm out into the world. And if you can clean that stuff up first, even if you're not meditating, but you're just cleaning up your moral conduct, that's going to significantly improve your life because you're not putting harm out into the world. So less and less harm is going to come back to you. So focusing on one's moral conduct would be a good place to start through things like right speech, right action and right livelihood, as well as the five precepts. But you wouldn't be able to get to the jhanas without practicing the rest of the Eightfold Path, which is including meditation, because that mental discipline is what's going to ultimately take the mind into the jhanas. And that's where you really start noticing the big benefits to your life. So it would be very wise that while somebody is improving their moral conduct, that they also develop a regular and consistent meditation practice. That makes sense, sir. Uh, I'd also like to add, I know from my experience, when, when first starting out, um, and even to this day, even at some points, you know, the unenlightened mind uh, wants, to, wants to, you to convince yourself, oh, I'd rather be do something else than going down to s- sit down and do a meditation session. Like, uh, for example, you find something else to do. Oh, let me get these dishes before I go sit down, knowing full well that, you know, it's time to go meditate. Like the mind wanders, oh, let me just do this before I, uh, I sit down and meditate, and it prolongs and prolongs. It's like that's a form of procrastination, and some people might not even meditate that day because of doing other things. Well, do you have any thoughts on this? This is the mind's craving, desire, attachment. This is the mind longing with a strong eagerness. It wants to put all these hurdles and obstacles in its way because the last thing it wants to do is be in the present moment. It's like a wild animal that doesn't want to be tamed. So this wild animal in the forest, when the animal trainer walks into the forest, all the wild animals run in opposite directions and they don't want anything to do with that animal trainer. So when you have the thought like, oh, let me go meditate, the wild animals like, no, 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 no. We're going to go wash dishes. We're going to go play on Facebook. We're going to go outside and do this and do that. So every time that sensibility of let's go do some training and tame this mind, the wild animal says, no, 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 we're not doing that. We're going over here. So you've got to have enough diligence, determination and dedication that you realize that the mind's going to be constantly struggling and fighting. It's going to perhaps want to stay in this darkness. It's going to want to walk in the opposite direction. And that's where the reasonable individual needs to arise in the mind and say, okay, I know that's what you want to do, but that's not what we're going to do. You need to be over here training the mind. So let's go over here and train the mind. So where I would notice in the past that the mind would have this interest to say, check email or check private messages instead of meditate. I would reverse that and say, okay, you're not going to check messages until you meditate. You need to meditate first and then you can check messages. So always doing the reverse. The unenlightened mind is going to want to stay in the unenlightened mind because it doesn't want to do this work. It doesn't want to apply this effort because it's real challenging. So initially, whatever the instincts are of the unenlightened mind, you should almost do just the opposite in most situations, depending on what it is. So if your mind's wanting to go to do the dishes or it wants to get on Facebook, then you can see right there that that's craving desire attachment. Let me cut that off, let it go and go over here and do the meditation. 
And then as you build up your meditation more and more, then you start noticing the benefits and it almost kind of pulls you into it that you notice the increased benefits to the concentration and the mindfulness and the calmness of mind. And you get to a point ultimately where you've broken through the boredom, you've broken through the craving where the mind doesn't want to sit and meditate. And you realize that life is so much better when you are meditating. And it's almost like you're accumulating these benefits. It's like rolling a snowball down the hill that eventually it builds up this momentum And it just keeps on going and keeps on going. And you get to the point where you can't fathom not meditating. It's the same thing that happened when we were growing up as children, that when we were growing up as children, our parents had to constantly remind us to brush our teeth, to take a shower, to comb our hair, to do certain personal hygiene things. Because as children, we were just running around playing going to see our friends, going to play with toys, watching cartoons. We just wanted to be involved in all that pleasurable stuff. But eventually, after taking enough showers, after waking up enough times and experiencing that bad taste in our mouth, we started to enjoy having a clean mouth and brushing our teeth every day. We started enjoying taking a shower every day and seeing as this was a beneficial thing for our life. And we started prioritizing cleaning the body as something that was important for our life. Well, now it's the same thing is you need to clean this mind. You need to clean this mind of pollution every day. And the mind doesn't quite yet see the benefits in it. And it's craving those pleasant feelings to go do something else. Just like you wanted to watch cartoons, you wanted to play with toys, you wanted to play with your friends and you didn't want to take a shower or brush your teeth. You just wanted to stay awake a little bit longer Well, the mind is doing the exact same thing as it doesn't want to clean the mind. It doesn't want to get rid of this pollution. It wants to go do all these pleasant things and it doesn't see meditation as something enjoyable yet. But the more you do it and you just kind of make the mind sit and do it, you start seeing the accumulated benefits and you're like, you know what? I kind of like having a calm mind. I kind of like being peaceful because you go a couple of weeks of meditating and then maybe you stop for a few days and you see your mind get shaken up and it's not calm anymore and you're like whoa I kind of liked it when the mind was calm I'm going to go back to doing that again but initially just like when you were five six eight ten years old and your parents had to keep reminding you to brush your teeth and take a shower you need to be that person who tells yourself Sit down and meditate, lay down and meditate, stand and meditate, do walking meditation, whatever it is. Do it enough that you start seeing the accumulated benefits and eventually you'll get to the point where you wouldn't even imagine not meditating in a certain day because you see the benefits and you enjoy that peaceful, calm mind much more than when you're not meditating, the mind is shaken up. Those are some great analogies, Teacher David. The animal tamer and, and the wild animals. That's a really good example. Also, I remember about a year or a year and a half ago, you did a post and you said, just like brushing your teeth, you know, you gotta, you, you know, you gotta clean your mind by meditating every day. So that kind of always stuck, stuck in the mind. And uh, I like to do a meditation when I wake up and before bed. And that's like around the same time I brush my teeth. If I can get one in the middle of the day, just like brushing my teeth, if I need to, you know, I'll do a meditation in the middle of the day as well. So would you say that meditation is just as important 
as brushing your teeth before you leave the house. I would say before you go to bed. I would say it's more important than brushing your teeth because everything you experience in this life is experienced through the mind. Everything. Whether it's a phone call, whether it's an email, whether it's a conversation, whether it's just walking in the front door of your house, whatever you're experiencing in this life, it all goes through the mind. And if the mind is polluted, then your life is going to feel very much like a struggle and very difficult. And when you clear out the mind with meditation, for example, and all the other aspects of these teachings, now the things that you're experiencing through the mind, you can experience life in a much different way when you don't have this pollution that you're inhibiting the mind from being able to experience fulfilling experiences in life because it's like looking out into the world through this pollution in the mind. But when you clear that out, then everything in the world feels so much different and different perspective that you have when you've cleared this pollution out of the mind. So there's days now occasionally with COVID that I might go uh, without taking a shower, without brushing my teeth because it's just me at home in my room working on my computer by myself. But there's not days that I don't meditate anymore. I meditate every single day. So in my view, meditation is more important than cleaning the body and cleaning the teeth, but we should be doing that too. We need to maintain the hygiene of our body or else that'll run away from us. We're not in the middle with that either. Wow, that stands out more important than brushing your teeth. That's that's really good. This is a beautiful class, sir. You're literally giving us the cheat codes in life. These are the three poisons of the mind. This is the antidote. it's 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 amazing. Thank you, sir. Yeah, you're welcome. Any other questions? No more questions, teacher. All right. Let's look at the third poison of ignorance, delusion. Or we also call this confusion. I use the word unknowing of true reality or this phrase of unknowing of true reality. And you'll understand why as we talk about this poison. This word ignorance is the word that we tend to translate for what the Buddha was sharing during his life. But it's important to keep in mind that today we kind of use the word ignorance in a derogatory way. The Buddha wasn't using this word in a derogatory way. I'm not even sure that he used the word ignorance. That's just the word that we're translating it to. I think this phrase unknowing of true reality is much more fitting to describe this particular poison. Because essentially what this ignorance, this delusion, this confusion, this unknowing of true reality is, is it's our wrong understanding or our wrong views of reality. We have these misperceptions of how the world functions and how the world works. We have this inability to understand things that are happening around us exactly the way they're happening and just being comfortable with how things are happening around us and understanding those things. We have these distortions or these misperceptions or these false beliefs of how things are to function in the world. And when they're not functioning the way to our choosing or the way that we want, then we think everything's wrong and everything's broken about the world. But the world isn't necessarily broken. There's plenty of unwholesome things that happen in the world. There's plenty of suffering. There's plenty of unwholesomeness in the world. But the world is functioning the way the world functions. It functions through these natural laws of existence. 
the reason why we see all the challenges that we see in the world is because of craving anger and ignorance. This ignorance is the primary reason why the mind is stuck in the unenlightened state. Craving desire attachment is the primary reason why the mind experiences discontentedness. But that is precipitated because of ignorance or this lack of wisdom, this delusion, this confusion. In the unenlightened state, we don't even know why we experience anger. We don't even know why we experience sadness. We just think it's part of life and we start blaming other people and we blame the circumstances and situations around us. We experience certain things in life and because of our ignorance and our confusion, we think that it's good luck or it's bad luck or we think that maybe there's a supreme being who's controlling us and because of their control they're either punishing or rewarding us and we should be fearful of this supreme being or we think that people are out to get us or we think that there's this big conspiracy theory that the whole world is functioning and conspiring against us in one way or another the mind starts getting deluded and it starts having this wrong understanding and these wrong views of reality because it doesn't understand what it doesn't understand. It doesn't understand these natural laws and therefore it's confused. It doesn't understand true reality. It has this unknowing of true reality. So it doesn't understand things like when we cause harm to others through our intentions, our speech, and our actions, that that harm is going to come back to us. We don't understand even something simple as the five precepts. Sure, we're taught you know, not to kill, not to steal, not to have sexual misconduct, not to lie, not to take substances that cause heedlessness, but we don't understand why we have this misperception. We think that perhaps these are just rules that people are trying to impose on us, and we go off and we do these things anyway, and we don't realize that when we do these things in the world, then these unwholesome and harmful things that are coming back to us is as a result of our own decisions. We think that these harmful things that are coming back to us, that somebody has it out for us, or the universe is conspiring against us, or the universe is giving us these wholesome things or these unwholesome things. There's no entity called a universe that is doing anything to control what we're experiencing in life. Everything that we experience is a result of our own decisions, cause and effect, or action and result the results of our decisions. And when we're making decisions through this three poisons, these three unwholesome roots, we're lacking the wisdom, we're lacking the understanding, we're lacking the knowing of true reality. So we put out these harmful decisions. So harmful things come back to us. Even when we think we have the best intentions whatsoever, the mind isn't clearly seeing craving anger and ignorance so therefore, when it makes decisions, it experiences unwholesome results and we're confused, we're bewildered, we're dumbfounded of why is this happening to us? And we start thinking that the world is out to get us in some way. But in reality, it's just a lack of our own wisdom, our own misunderstanding of the world and the way the world works that we don't understand these natural laws of existence. And because we don't understand these natural laws, we keep doing these things over and over and over and over again, and we keep experiencing the same unwholesome results. It's like we're stuck in this cycle of 
going around and around and around and around. And it's not until we transform this ignorance using the antidote or the wholesome root that we then can start to make our way out of this constant cycle of chasing after the objects of our affection, getting what we want, experiencing pleasant feelings, but those wear off, or chasing after the objects of our affection, we don't get what we want, so then we have anger, irritation, annoyance, and these other defiled aspects of the mind. We start having this hostility and this aggression. It's not until we understand this whole cycle of how the mind is polluted that we can then transform the mind. So the way out of this ignorance and not knowing how things function, the way out of this delusion and this confusion, not understanding these natural laws of existence, is to acquire wisdom. The more wisdom that we acquire about these natural laws, understanding how the world functions and how our own mind functions, with this wisdom, we can now start to function in a world through this wisdom and start making wise decisions. The way that we acquire this wisdom is by investigating the teachings, learning, reflecting, and practicing Gautama Buddha's teachings to acquire wisdom. This is where through independent verification of the teachings, we eliminate our beliefs. Because with belief, we don't know what's true or false. We're just believing something. We don't know what's actually true or false. So the mind can easily be shaken up when we're just functioning on belief. But when you learn the natural laws of existence through the wisdom of the Buddha, and then you go off and you independently verify those teachings, and you see the truth for yourself, then you know with 100% certainty, aha, it's craving, desire, attachment that is causing the discontentedness here. I can see that so clearly because I've confirmed it for myself. I looked at situations where I was angry. I looked at situations where I was lonely. I looked at situations where I was happy and excited. And I can see that it's craving, desire, attachment that's causing the mind to be shaken up and uncalm and discontent. And when you see that through independent verification, you then have wisdom and nobody can shake you off of that ever again. When you see that you're causing your own anger and this anger is producing unskillful conduct like intention, speech and actions that are causing harm. And when you speak in certain ways that are harmful, harmful things come back to you. When you can see that very clearly, you now have the wisdom and you know the truth that it's your own decisions. It's cause and effect, action and result that is leading to everything you're experiencing in this life. So you need guidance from a teacher to help you understand these truths from a learning perspective. But then you need to go do the work to reflect on those and practice what the teacher is sharing so that you can gain this wisdom through independent verification that what's being shared with you is the truth. So things that you need to learn are things like the three universal truths, the four noble truths, the eightfold path, the five precepts, the Brahma Viharas, the natural law of gamma, the seven factors of enlightenment, doing extensive meditation training, and elimination of the 10 fetters. These are the core and central teachings of the Buddha that will set you up with a really nice solid foundation to counteract this ignorance, to dissolve and eliminate this confusion, 
to get rid of this unknowing of true reality by acquiring wisdom. Because as you're guided through this program and through the resources that I share, you will gain more and more understanding of what these natural laws are. You won't believe them. You'll go off and you'll independently confirm it through reflecting and through practicing. And then when you have the wisdom of how to make more wholesome decisions on your own with your own free will, then you'll see the results in your life are improving because the discontentedness in the mind will gradually diminish. So this ignorance, this unknowing of true reality that we all experience coming into this world with this unknowing of true reality, as long as we have that, we're going to continue to have craving. We're going to continue to chase after the objects of our affection and experiencing discontentedness, pleasant feelings, painful feelings, and neither painful nor pleasant. As long as we have this ignorance, this unknowing of true reality, we're going to continue to experience anger and sadness, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, and all the other feelings that we experience that are very painful. But it's when we start understanding the wisdom of the Buddha and what the real problems are in the mind that we can then clear out this pollution on a regular ongoing basis. And as we do, now this wisdom comes into the mind and we can start functioning in the world in a much different way than when our mind was polluted and having so much ignorance. So it's this wisdom. When we talk about awakening the mind, that's what's awakening the mind is the wisdom. You're awakening to the wisdom of the Buddha. You're awakening to the wisdom of the path to enlightenment. And the more this mind gains this wisdom, it starts functioning through this wisdom in ways that it wasn't before, where before we might have made certain choices or decisions based in ignorance. And we did those things and then we had the unwholesome results because of it. Now, when we see clearly and we have this wisdom, now we're going to make the choice to do things in a different way or not do certain things that we did before. And now with an improved decisions on our part, based on this wisdom, now the results that we experience in life are going to be improved. So using the example Amina gave, she's really great for asking questions early in class and then we can use it all the way through the class, is if you understand that holding on and craving for the world to be a certain way and wanting the world to be a certain way is what's causing the mind sadness. It's creating some discontentedness, some anger, maybe even some frustration or resentment. Then when you have the wisdom that that's what the mind's doing, the next time you pick up the paper, the next time you view some news, you need to tell yourself before you even pick up the paper, you're not going to agree with everything that you read in the paper. You're not going to agree with everything that you see in the news. And while you don't agree with it, doesn't mean you have to become sad because of it. It's just impermanence. You disagree with the court's decision, but that doesn't mean you have to be sad because of it. That's just impermanence. You might disagree with something that you see in the newspaper on the news, but it doesn't mean you have to become angry or frustrated or irritated or annoyed or anything like that. It's just impermanence. So even before you pick up something like a newspaper or watch the news, if you know that those things have shaken up your mind before, then you should get to the point where before you even pick them up, that you just tell the mind, you're not going to agree with everything you see here. So when you read this paper, 
just stay calm and just take it in as information of what's happening in the world that you're not going to agree with everything. So if you have this wisdom that all these things are impermanent and you're not going to agree with everything you read in the paper, now you can read the paper or watch the news with a different mindset, knowing ahead of time full well that you're not going to agree with everything that you see. But if the mind craves or clings to its perceptions, wanting things to be a certain way, now as soon as it sees something it disagrees with, there it is. Now the mind's angry. Now it's irritated. Now it's frustrated. Now it's uncalm. Now it's shaken up because it doesn't like this impermanence. So gaining this wisdom of the Buddhist teachings, we can now start to liberate the mind from all of the pollutions of craving anger and these 10 fetters as well. With this wisdom of the Buddhist teachings, we can now transform and eradicate all the pollution that we see in the mind so that now we can experience this brightness or this brilliance coming through the mind. So just to kind of summarize this and then give you guys a, a chance for some questions is these three poisons or these three unwholesome roots, these three fires are craving anger and ignorance or this unknowing of true reality. We also refer to it as greed, hatred and delusion or desire, ill will and confusion. There's these antidotes or these remedies or these three wholesome roots that you're working towards practicing along with the meditations of breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation you would like to implement into your life practice that you're practicing generosity that you're practicing loving kindness and you're practicing wisdom basing your decisions in wisdom so if you get a text message from a friend or a partner or an ex-spouse or a boss or something like this and you feel that the anger is starting to arise if you know that that's pollution and if you type a message back it's only going to be polluted with anger why would you cause that harm to yourself don't cause that harm to yourself instead arise wisdom and say you know what the mind's polluted i've got this anger it's the wrong time to be talking to anybody right now. Let me put the phone down, allow the mind to regain its composure two hours, three hours, two days, three days later, maybe you reply and maybe you don't. But replying in the moment because of craving, I just gotta prove to this person or I gotta show this person they can't walk on me or you know, they're talking bad about me or my mom or my dad or my kids or whatever. I've got to fight. As long as you keep the fight going, the fight's going to keep going. But it's not until you arise wisdom and you're like, hold on a second. Let me pause. Let me put this phone down or let me exit this conversation. Let me regain composure so that I can now function without craving anger and ignorance because as long as you're functioning through craving anger and ignorance, it's going to produce unwholesome results. So in addition to training the mind and gradually working to eliminate craving anger and ignorance with meditation, you should be looking for ways to arise generosity, arise loving kindness, and arise wisdom. This is what's going to eliminate and eradicate these three unwholesome roots, making sure that all your decisions are based in the three wholesome roots. And over time, this is going to gradually eliminate 
the discontentedness in the mind, all the suffering that you're causing your own self and putting harm out into the world, now all that harm that you're putting out into the world has been transformed. You're no longer putting out craving, anger, and ignorance in the world. You're putting out generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom. And now you're no longer going to experience the unwholesome results. Slowly but surely, as you burn off these unwholesome things from decisions that you've made in the past, more and more you're going to get wholesome decision after wholesome decision after wholesome decision. And now you'll experience life will become more peaceful and more calm. And over time, as you train the mind more and more, the mind will permanently reside in this enlightened mental state where it's peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy because now you fully understand these natural laws of existence. As you train on this path further and further and you get more and more skilled at making decisions through these natural laws of existence, you will not struggle and have difficulties trying to figure out what to do in life anymore because you already know the answer. You already will know how to practice and function through these natural laws, where before you were functioning through craving, anger, and ignorance, more and more you will become skilled at functioning through generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom, and now your decisions will become more easy for you, and you'll see that it becomes first nature, where initially, as you're learning for however long period of time, it's very challenging to get out of the darkness and move towards the light. It almost feels like you're walking through the mud and it's a real struggle to move the mind from where it is now to this enlightened mental state. But as you walk forward, it becomes first nature that you can just effortlessly function through these natural laws because you now understand them. You have the wisdom. You've seen the truth for yourself. You independently verified the teachings that now you know with 100% certainty how to function with these natural laws because you've been doing it for a year or two or three or however long you're progressing on this path, but it will become to the point where functioning and making decisions through these natural laws becomes first nature for you. And that's where the mind can be at ease and it can have this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy because nothing shakes up the mind anymore. When something happens, you understand it. So using Amina's example, if there's a certain court case that you disagree with, rather than being shaken up by that disagreement, you just recognize like, okay, of course it didn't happen the way I thought it was because that was impermanence. Things aren't always gonna happen the way that I think they're gonna happen. And this person, if they were guilty, but they were proven not guilty in this imperfect law, of humanity's laws, well, they can't escape their unwholesome decisions. They're going to experience the results of that. So the mind won't be shaken up by a not guilty verdict or even a guilty verdict if you thought somebody should be not guilty. It's not going to be shaken up because you recognize that the world isn't going to function the way you want it to function. The world isn't going to conduct itself based on the way you want it to happen it's going to function based on these natural laws. And these natural laws, when you don't understand them and things are happening in the world around you, the mind can be frustrated, irritated. It can struggle and have difficulties. But when you can look out at the world and you can see clearly that everything is happening based on these natural laws, 
and you understand what those natural laws are, then you can understand every single thing that happens in the world. And there's nothing that will confuse you. This confusion has been eliminated because you now have wisdom. And this wisdom of these natural laws explains everything that's happening in the world around you. So nothing will shake up your mind at that point. The mind will be enlightened, peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. But this, of course, takes time. It's gradual training, gradual practice, and gradual progress that you'll gradually see the mind moving closer and closer to this enlightened mental state as the discontentedness slowly diminishes. So let me pause here. This is everything that I had to share with you guys for today and see what questions you guys have on any of these three poisons, particularly the one around ignorance, since I didn't pause for that one. Well, it seems that to eradicate the poison of ignorance, there are a lot of questions that need to be answered before one may step in and start practicing or walking the path. What do you suggest for this situation? You actually can't do what you just described, Possum. This isn't possible. The Buddha gave a simile on this. He talked about an individual who shot with a poisonous arrow. And when this poisonous arrow went into his body, the villagers ran and they got a surgeon. And they brought the surgeon to the person. And the surgeon's like, okay, I can take this poisonous arrow out of your body and save your life, essentially. And the person says, hold on, doctor. Before you take out this poisonous arrow out of the body, I would like you to tell me the person who shot me with the arrow. I would like to know, you know, what kind of hair do they have? What kind of skin color do they have? What ethnicity are they from? I would also like you to tell me this arrow that was shot into me. You know, what is the stem made out of? Is it made out of this material or that material? What are the feathers of the arrow made out of? Is it from this bird or that bird or this bird or that bird? And then I also would like to know about the bow. You know, was the bone made out of natural wood? Was it made out of bone? You know, tell me what the bow is made out of. And then tell me what is the string of the bow made out of? You know, give me all this information. And once you collect all this information and you tell me the answers to all these things, then I will let you take this poisonous arrow out of my body. Of course, I'm paraphrasing. The Buddha said it much more eloquently. Well, of course, in this situation, surely that person's going to die before all these answers from the doctor are going to be given to this individual. So the poisonous arrow is representative of these three poisons, that you've been shot with this arrow of the three poisons from the very beginning of our existences. We have had these three poisons, and we continue to have these three poisons. You will surely die before you get the answers to all the questions that are in your mind before you start actually practicing the teachings. The way that you get to wisdom is not to sit down and have five years of talking to understand all the teachings before you say, okay, let me start practicing now. What you do is you learn a little bit of the teachings and then you practice them. And then as you're practicing them, you see the truth. Or maybe you need to circle back and get more guidance. And as you get more and more guidance, then you see the truth more and more clearly. You take off a little bite, you learn, reflect, and practice. And then when you see the results, you confirm the truths, then you take off another little bite. 
you learn, reflect, and practice, and you gradually build up your practice more and more. If you did like this person who was shot by the arrow, wanting to know all the answers first, then you're not going to be able to remove the poisons before you die. In other situations where you might come to a tradition and you might say, tell me all your beliefs. And then when you tell me all your beliefs, then I will make a decision of whether I would like to join this community or not. And then I will believe the same things you believe. This is not what the Buddhist teachings are doing. Instead, the Buddhist teachings are this path to enlightenment of all these truths and all these natural laws. And you gradually, slowly, but surely, you learn each individual aspect of the natural laws. Things like the three universal truths, the four noble truths, the eightfold path, and so on. And as you learn each one of these individually, you learn them, you don't believe them, you reflect on them and you practice. And as you do, you see the condition of the mind gradually improving and you see things that once created anger in the mind, now the mind is just frustrated or irritated or annoyed. And you're like, whoa, I processed that very differently than I did in the past. These teachings are working. Let me get some more. Let me go back to the teacher. Let me go back to the book. Let me go back to the podcast or the class. Let me learn a little bit more. And when I learn a little bit more, I reflect a little bit more. I practice a little bit more. And I see the condition of the mind improve a little bit more. And you continually work through the teachings this way, where you gradually learn and gradually practice, and you gradually see the progress in the mind. This is the way to progress on this path that you wouldn't be able to get all the answers to all your questions that you would ever have and then start practicing because some of the answers are actually discovered in your practice as you're progressing on the path. While these teachings are for one to use to practice and improve their mind, sometimes the mind wants to judge others or observe that oh this one has ignorance this one doesn't know true reality is it kind is this a kind of judgment and how to admit it if you look down on people or you look up to people this is judgment where you're judging yourself as either being superior or inferior to others if you understand that all unenlightened beings are going to be affected by craving anger and ignorance and they're going to be struggling in the world their struggles might be different than your struggles but they all come back to these same three poisons doesn't matter what it is a person who has a cocaine addiction for example is having the same exact problem as somebody who's having uh, addiction to shopping and going out and shopping it's the same exact problem they're craving pleasant feelings or someone who's arguing in the middle of the street and there's someone at home arguing with their wife or their kids. It's the same problem. It all comes back to craving anger and ignorance. So the vast majority of the world is affected by these same three poisons unless the mind is enlightened. And there's very few enlightened beings in the world right now. So the vast majority of the world is affected by these three poisons. But you don't have to look down on people because of it, you can recognize that people are struggling with these same three poisons as you without looking down on them. So if you got a message or you've had a conversation with somebody where they were very vindictive and very aggressive and very hostile with you, 
you can understand like, okay, that makes sense because this person isn't practicing the teachings. They have craving, anger, and ignorance. They're not practicing right intention, right speech, and right action. And I understand where that's coming from. I disagree with their intention, speech, and actions. I don't agree with what they're doing here, but I don't have to look down on them to understand that they're lacking wisdom, moral conduct, and mental discipline. I can just see it for what it is and see true reality. Where in the past, before you understood these teachings and understanding that everybody's affected by these same three poisons, if someone talks harsh and aggressive and hostile with you, you might start diminishing yourself and thinking that you're a bad person or you're horrible or you've done something wrong. You should always look at your own practice. Whenever somebody's being angry and hostile or aggressive with you, you should always look at your own practice and say, you know, what have I done in order to have this experience happen? There's some cause and effect. There's something that I'm choosing to do either now or something that I've done in the past that's created this situation. And then when you observe what that is and you're working to clean that up and you know with this same person, you're constantly being polite, kind, friendly, and respectful. You're three months, six months, a year into this. Maybe it's an ex-spouse or something. I know that's a question that comes up a lot in this class. If you have an ex-spouse who just continues to be aggressive and hostile and vindictive and resentful towards you, but yet you've got three months, six months, a year of treating this person with kindness, with respect and politeness, then you know that what it is is their own pollution of mind that they are unaware of and they're not working to resolve it. But we don't have to look down on them. We can have loving kindness and compassion for them and just understand that, okay, they're struggling and you are in those same struggles yourself at one point. And now that you're improving your practice and you're choosing not to do that anymore, it doesn't mean that we have to look at ourselves above others. We just recognize that this person is lacking wisdom, moral conduct, and mental discipline. Their mind is still affected by these three poisons, but I will just have compassion and loving kindness for them. Well, hey, let's go to Nick Yes, teacher. Going back to Amina, um, she has a follow-up statement to share. So in reading these articles, the mind is not in the present moment, and the expe expectation of how the world should be needs to be erased from the mind. I think um, that, that's a good uh, tying it all together. Yeah, the mind has to stop wanting the world to be a certain way and realize that the world is going to function the way that it functions based on these natural laws of existence. That the problem isn't that the world isn't functioning the way that you want it to function. The problem is that you want the want. That's the problem. The world's functioning the way that it's always functioned through these natural laws of existence. It's just that the want, the craving, the strong eagerness, the desire, that's what's causing the mind to be shaken up because it wanted a certain outcome in a court case and it didn't get that. So therefore, it was craving that permanence. It experienced this impermanence and now it doesn't like that. Instead of setting yourself up to fail where you're expecting things to be a certain way, as soon as you start noticing expectation come into the mind, you've got to cut that off and let it go. Like some of you guys are aware that we're working on 
having this retreat in America coming up in June 2022. And somebody messaged me yesterday with excitement and pleasant feelings about this retreat that's coming up. And they were asking me, you know, how I felt about it. And I said, oh, well, we've got this retreat. We're working towards that goal. But there's a lot of impermanence between now and then. So while everybody's working towards the goal to potentially have this retreat, my mind already knows that this retreat may or may not happen, right? So with all indications, everything that we're all working towards is, yeah, we're working towards having this retreat and I'm going to go to America and actually teach you guys and share these teachings with you in person. And actually a lot of teachings that I don't share here in this program But who knows what may happen between now and then, regardless if we're all functioning with this generosity, this loving kindness and this wisdom, then we should see wholesome results as a result of it. Uh, As long as we're functioning through the Eightfold Path, we should all see results headed in that direction. But just because we plan something, if the mind allows itself to experience these pleasant feelings as a result of the retreat or have certain expectations of what should or shouldn't happen, then when things don't happen that way, then the mind's going to be discontent. So you've got to kind of get way ahead of the curve before you ever even pick up the newspaper or before you go to an event or before something happens in your life. Just start way, way, way early. Don't ever let the mind have any kind of craving, desire, attachments, expectations, or wants, just realize that, okay, we're working towards this goal. Everybody's putting their best effort towards the goal. And we will help to ensure that we accomplish the goals that we're working towards. But there's going to be certain situations in life where we don't accomplish the things that we set out to accomplish. And that's okay. That's just impermanence. So we've got to train the mind to not run away with itself into these pleasant feelings and get deluded. But as soon as we observe with mindfulness, that awareness of mind, that the mind's not in the middle and it's having these pleasant feelings or these painful feelings, cut that off and bring it back to the middle and just reside content, being satisfied with what is. So teacher David, not just um, court cases uh, and being disappointed with the outcome or longing for the retreat in the future and if that didn't happen being upset about it but uh these it seems that these same three poisons are are it's the root cause of everything not just a retreat not just a court case but anytime the mind is discontent it all comes back to these three poisons is that true yes everything comes back to these same three poisons Uh, when the mind's discontent, but even let's look at like global conflict and global war, right? One country is functioning one way, another country is functioning another way. The leaders in those countries, they're affected with craving anger and ignorance too. And one leader in one country doesn't like the way another leader in another country is doing things. And now they might use economic means to try to force them to do and make certain decisions. And if that doesn't work, then maybe they send soldiers in war to go fight and kill in order to get this other country to function in the way that this other country wants. So everything that we see happening in the world is happening because of craving anger and ignorance. And when we put craving anger and ignorance in the world, because of this natural law of gamma, then there's going to be unwholesome results because of it. 
But when we function through the three wholesome roots of generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom, then that's when we see wholesome results. So back to this retreat is that's why we're not charging a price. There's no cost for this retreat. We're being generous. We're saying, hey, anybody can come. You're all welcome to come. But with wisdom, in order for us to have this retreat, there needs to be some financial aspect to it in order to allow us to pay for the room, to rent, to host the event, for me to fly to America and for other things like this. We need to apply some wisdom here, but we can do that through generosity. So by setting up a retreat, for example, out of generosity where there's no cost, there's no profit, there's nobody who's wanting to make money off of this retreat. We're doing it through generosity and loving kindness, but then we're applying some wisdom and saying, well, how can we allow other people to practice generosity and loving kindness as well and kind of remove this hurdle of, okay, everybody has to pay $800 to come to this retreat because, you know, we wouldn't feel comfortable with that and that would be more money than we would actually need in order to execute the retreat. So we've just kind of consolidated the bare bones expenses and said, okay, this is all it takes in order to host this retreat. And now let's let people practice generosity, loving kindness, and use our wisdom to make this actually occur and actually happen. But whenever you look across the world, why do things happen the way they do is it's through craving anger and ignorance. So, you know, I think what Amina is probably referring to is this court case that just happened in America where this young boy was in a city with a gun and shot some people and ended up killing them and then he went to court and was found not guilty well what was it that made him want to go down there and have this gun well craving anger and ignorance right if we know that a environment has all this activity and all this hostility that's going on all this protest and if there was rioting going on or whatever else was going on in there why would you go down there with a gun and introduce a gun into that environment knowing that there's all this challenges going on in that environment anyway is if you have craving right craving to want things to be a certain way and then there's a certain amount of anger or hostility or aggression that's in the mind and there's this ignorance this lack of wisdom thinking that somehow bringing a gun into this environment is going to improve the situation. So that whole situation happened out of craving anger and ignorance. And then when we go to court, okay, people who are involved, whether it's the judge or the prosecutors or the jury, everybody's struggling through their own craving anger and ignorance and trying to make a decision of what was right or wrong in any given situation. And that's why humanity's laws are always going to be imperfect. But this natural law of karma, if you kill, then that's going to come back to you and, and it's only going to harm you because you've put out harm into the world. So just like other situations where people have killed and they've gotten proved not guilty, whether they truly were defending themselves or not, that's not for us to necessarily decide. But you can't escape the unwholesomeness of harming somebody and killing somebody in an environment where 
that's going to cause complications to your mind from the moment that you choose to kill somebody for the rest of your life unless you find this path, unless you train the mind to eliminate craving, anger, and ignorance, you're going to continue to be affected by the pollutions of your mind and the decisions that you're making through that pollution of mind is just going to continue. So all conflict, global conflict, individual conflict, conflict in your home, playground fights, all of it is through craving, anger, and ignorance that we function through this pollution of mind until we eradicate it. And then once we eradicate it, we can function through these three wholesome roots. And then we will see improvements to the condition of our own mind, as well as the things that are happening in our life around us. Because if I would be in America at the time when there was protest, there's protests here in Thailand too. I just don't go. You know, I'm not interested in being on the street protesting one thing or another. It doesn't mean that I don't agree with the cause or so forth, but I just know that in those environments that things can happen really quickly. And I'm not interested in putting this physical body in that situation. And we can make skillful choices like this about our life and choosing to be involved in certain things or not. And then through our decisions, there's certain cause and effect that happens as a result. And it doesn't mean that if you're involved in a protest that you're wrong or you've done something unwholesome. It just means that you have to look at the craving, anger and ignorance and what's really the motivation to be involved in this. And is it really a wise choice to be involved with thousands and thousands and thousands of people having all these different weapons and all these different feelings and all this hostility? It's like a pot that's been lit on fire and the water's boiling. Do you really want to get into that boiling water? And for me, with protest, I've never gone to a protest ever in my life because I just feel like that's not the right way for me to help people in the world, that I would be much better off sharing these teachings and helping people learn. And then if other people would like to go protest, then maybe there's a way to peacefully protest. And there's a way to help people see more clearly through peaceful means like what Martin Luther King Jr. did. He did a lot of peaceful protesting. And this is one of the reasons why his protests were so successful and his movement was so successful in bringing more civil rights into the world is because he did it peacefully, very, very peacefully. And that's why it had the impact and the results that it had. So everything in the world that we can observe happens, it's all going to come back to these three poisons. If it's unwholesome, it's all going to come back to these three poisons in one fashion or another. So teacher, in summary, would you say uh, a key to success or wholesome outcomes would be in any situation, try to always respond with generosity, loving kindness and wisdom, even with, say, an ex-spouse, someone you have, like, history with, like, where, where it's normally you wouldn't want to be generous, you should be generous anyway. If those are the three keys, would you say that's true? Yes, you should always be functioning through these three wholesome roots. And just like we talked about the unenlightened mind not wanting to meditate, it's not going to want to practice generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom. It's going to have this wall. That's what aversion is when we push people out of our life. 
we erect this wall between us and them. But what we've got to do is we got to break through this wall. And we got to realize that as long as we allow the mind to stay defiled, polluted and tainted with craving, anger and ignorance, we're going to keep experiencing the same unwholesome results. It's not until we change our decisions and improve our conduct that we're going to see improved results. So we should always be looking to break through these walls that we've erected around us where with an ex-spouse or something, we don't want to practice certain things. Now, there's certain periods of time where you might decide to not talk to an ex-spouse. If their mind is really heavily polluted, you might choose to break contact and just take things down to a minimum and just have minimal contact with that person. So practicing generosity, loving kindness and wisdom doesn't mean you run out on the street and you just you know, willfully practice in such a way that you think everyone else is going to practice in that same way. So if you're working with somebody like an ex-spouse whose mind is heavily defiled, you should try to find ways that you practice generosity, loving kindness and wisdom. But part of that wisdom might be you know what, for the next three months, six months, a year, let me just bring things down to minimal contact. And that's kind of the best way in this particular situation. But that decision isn't necessarily permanent. As they start working on their mind, perhaps, and things start to improve a bit, and your mind becomes more confident and more strong, maybe you will decide to increase your communication a little bit. So don't feel like this generosity, loving kindness and wisdom is untempered and it's like a fire hose just spraying water everywhere. Generosity, loving kindness and wisdom. You've also part of that wisdom needs to be discernment. That discernment, that wise decision making is based in wisdom. And in some cases, you might need to just minimize contact or you might actually need to move on and beyond a relationship. Someone like an ex-spouse, it may be hard to do that if you have children involved, but there's certain people in your life that maybe the relationship is so difficult and so challenging that it's just easier to move on rather than try to repair that relationship, that their mind isn't really ready, your mind maybe doesn't have the wisdom that you need to repair the relationship, and it's better to just move on and make new relationships in certain situations. And that's sometimes what we do when we have a certain partner, things aren't going well, we choose to get a divorce or we choose to end the relationship and we choose to move on. But when you move on, make sure you understand that you've got the problems of your own mind to work on. And in resolving those, it will set your next relationship, whether it's a friend or a life partner or what have you, it'll set it up to be more successful. Thank you, Venerable Sir. You're welcome. Many thanks, teacher. Seems that these are all the questions we have today. All right. Well, I'll just thank you all for joining today's class. As you see, these three poisons, they have a big ramification in terms of how we function in the world. When you understand these three poisons and the real problems that are occurring because of these three poisons, then once you understand the problem, then you can start focusing on the solution, the real solution. Instead of going around trying to control people to do things the way we want, or instead of trying to be hostile and aggressive to force people to do things the way we want, rather than blocking people out of our life, rather than talking in derogatory ways to others, we start learning that the real problem is in our own mind, our own pollution of mind. So 
when we realize what the real challenges are, what the real problems are, then we can focus on the real solutions. Up to this point in your life, if you haven't been studying the Buddhist teachings, then you've been going through life not really realizing what the true problems are. So therefore, you haven't been able to work with the true solutions to fix those. And that's why life can be a struggle and a challenge. It's not that you or anyone else is a bad person necessarily. It's just that we have been plagued with that ignorance, that unknowing of true reality. The mind doesn't have the wisdom. It doesn't understand what it doesn't understand. So because of our lack of understanding, because of our lack of wisdom, we've gone through life and we've made decisions that weren't very wise, that weren't very generous, that weren't very loving and kind. And because of that, we've been creating this storm perhaps in our life of challenge after challenge, difficulty after difficulty. And it's not until we come into these teachings and we start gaining the wisdom of these teachings that we can now focus on the real problem, which is our own mind, antidoting this craving, anger, and ignorance with this generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom. And as we do, we build up our practice more and more, and we start seeing improved results for ourselves. But it just takes time to gradually work in that direction. So thank you all for joining for today's class and continue to learn. If you haven't read this chapter, I think the chapter does a really good job of explaining this, you know, point by point. So if you haven't read this chapter yet, be sure to get the newest copy of this book. You can download it from our website or you can get one printed by taking the file to go print it yourself or order the printed copy because as you read through chapter eight, it will really help you to understand the problem and solution really, really clearly. Next week on Sunday, we're going to be in chapter nine, which is the natural law of gamma. This chapter is titled, What is Gamma and How Does It Affect Me? So here we're going to be talking about the natural law of gamma and specifically everything that we've been talking about up to this point is related to the natural law of gamma in one way or another. But on Sunday, we're going to be talking about the natural law of gamma specifically and really diving into the details of that. This Wednesday is our fourth class in a four-part series of learning Buddhist chanting. So if you would like to participate in that, just come on Wednesday, and we're going to be doing some chanting and some meditation together. And then the following Wednesday, which is a week and a half from now, we're going to be doing breathing mindfulness meditation. And the following Wednesday after that, we'll be doing loving kindness meditation. So we're going to be alternating breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation every Wednesday. Because as you see now, this is a major component of the practice. And you should be doing this on your own as part of your own practice. But also doing it as part of your community can be encouraging and motivating to come together each Wednesday and doing some meditation together. And those are also times where you can ask questions about things that you're observing in your practice and how to apply these teachings in your day-to-day -day life. So thank you all for your questions, your participation. Thank you to the moderators for having the questions come in and asking those questions. I appreciate everybody's effort and support to see these teachings continue to be shared in the world. I'll see you either next Sunday or perhaps this Wednesday, maybe even both. Have a lovely rest of your day. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. 
There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.